You are holy, Lord. Lord, as we declared, we love you. We worship you. You are holy. And we love because you loved us first. You have shown us love. You have shown us mercy. You have shown us goodness when we didn't deserve it. Lord, you are faithful. You are faithful in all your ways. And on this day, Lord, we come to you and we bow down. All our thoughts, all our egos, all our ambitions, all of it we bring down and we lift you up and we say, Lord, be glorified in us and through us. Shape us, mold us, direct us. Do with us as you desire. You are faithful in all your ways. You are holy. And we bless your name. We love you, Father. We love you, Jesus. We welcome your Holy Spirit and we love him. And we say, have your way among us now. Amen. Amen. Welcome those online and those that are here with us today. We are grateful to be together in the presence of the Lord. I'm so excited to be back with you in person. And uh, I just want to thank God for all of you, for how you have uh, come together, stood together in this last season through COVID, through all the different challenges that we've gone through. And uh, I'm going to share a couple of personal things and uh, hopefully make sense out of it all. <clears throat> Some of you may know I was away and I just got back from the Middle East. I was in uh, Bahrain, in the Emirates, and in Egypt, and uh, in all those places, I encountered the presence of God in such powerful ways. So I want to thank you for the privilege of sending me, of representing you, and uh, it is such an honor uh, to come back and to share with you and to let you know what's been happening. But let me put some things in context. When God calls a person, Abraham, Moses, whoever, whenever God calls a person, yes, that person has a call, but the call is never about the person. Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. I'm going to make you the father of great nations. Yes, the word is for Abraham. But it's not about Abraham, it's about the great nations. Moses, come, I'm going to send you to Egypt. Yes, the word is for Moses, but it isn't about Moses. It's about what Moses is going to accomplish for the greater community. He's going to go to Egypt, encounter Pharaoh, Israel is going to come out. It's never about the person. So whenever we receive a prophetic word, we receive it, yes, for ourselves. 
Yes, for the community that we're in, but even bigger than that, for those that will be impacted by our obedience. So, will you receive a word today so that it impacts, through your obedience, a much bigger community, much larger? If you say amen, just raise your hand and we'll pray and we'll just embark on this journey. So, Father, as we say yes to you, enlarge our heart, expand our understanding that we may be filled with the knowledge and the wisdom we need to accomplish your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I was not supposed to exist. My parents got married, and about four years into their journey, they had no kids. They go to the church on Easter. It's an Armenian Orthodox church, and the priest says to my mom, where are the kids? And she says, ah, it's not happening. When it happens, it will happen. He says, no, no, no. Today we pray, and you commit your child to the Lord, and the Lord will give you a son in a year. And I was born. Remember, it's not about the word, about the person. So I'm not telling you this about myself. I'm telling you about what the Lord is going to use us to impact. My mom didn't tell me that until after I was born again. I was 18 at the time. And she told me that maybe a year or two even after that. It goes in the back of the mind, right? What does it mean, dedicate your child to the Lord? Isn't that what we all do when we have a baby? Uh, we haven't done it through COVID, but we're going to come back and do it. Children that were born, we bring them to the front and we dedicate them to the Lord. In some traditions, baptism is done to do that. In some tradition, a dedication service is done to do that. All of them are good. But the idea is that the parents are making a commitment about the way they're going to raise the child. Nothing happens to the child in that. It's about how the parents are going to raise the child. So they raised me that way. My brother, same thing. He wasn't supposed to be born. It took my mom eight months on her back for you to be born. So you have a destiny as well. We, I have a destiny. Each one of you. I showed you last time. For one of us to be born, 12 generations back, 8,190 people were involved for you to be born and sit here today. For each one of us. Now go back a few other generations. Whoa. But that doesn't even include the other branches of that 8,190 great-great-great-grandparents that we have 12 generations back and all of their descendants other than us and how we're all connected. It's one community. When we function, we affect those around us immediately, but what we affect could be a lot bigger if we obey the Lord and direct our steps according to his purpose. Another picture I want to share with you is something that happened in the late summer, early fall of 1970. We were in Egypt. I'm glad you're here today because we can relate to these stories. My brother is here, by the way, for you, you online. You can't see him, but Remy's here. So I remember the story, uh, and I had forgotten it for many years. It was the last day in our apartment in Cairo. All the bags were packed. The boxes were almost sealed. There was one box left open and there was a Bible. And our apartment in Egypt was a two-story apartment. My grandfather had built it in Cairo. It was a big deal. Uh, 
the name of the street was named after him. And then later on, after Nasser uh, revolution, it got changed to something else. But anyway, that street still exists. And when we were there a few years ago with the kids, we went and visited that apartment building. We went up to the apartment that Remy was born in, and, or not born in, but was born and raised in, that I was raised in. I, was, I think I was born there too, yeah. Uh, not in the apartment, but that's where we came after we were born in the hospitals. So we're sitting there. My mom is sitting on the steps of the stairs to go upstairs. Remy is in her lap. My, ba- my dad takes the Bible, my Baba. My dad takes the Bible and he opens up and he reads a chapter. And as he's reading it, it's about all of these things that are going to happen to Egypt. And my mom is crying and Remy is looking up at her like, why are you crying? I remember watching them and I got emotional. And the end of the chapter reads, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hand, and Israel, my inheritance. And it goes on a little bit longer. For those of you that don't recognize it, it's Isaiah 19. And as my dad is reading this, he closes the Bible at the end and he prays. And he says, Father, we know that you have a blessing on Egypt But we're going to leave this here. We're going to go to Canada. If you choose to bless us in Canada, so be it. But we're going to leave this blessing in Egypt. That was very sad for a child to hear that. And it stuck with me. When we first came to Canada, I had a Bible, obviously, and I would read it. And that was a chapter I read often. And I couldn't understand it because it had all these curses against Egypt. But then it ends with this blessing about Egypt being called his people. I didn't understand it until much later. Uh, Years later, this was 1970. I'd forgotten about it after a few years in Canada. And then I was on a trip to England. And in this trip, we were at the YWAM base, that's Youth with a Mission, in the UK, in Harpenden. And uh, we were... A bunch of Egyptians were there, a few internationals, and a bunch of Messianic Jews. And they were getting to know each other. They were very awkward together. They weren't like family. They were sort of like looking at each other, getting to know each other, but they were still awkward. And uh, I was sitting down, and, and they had pillows on the ground. So the Egyptians sat around on the pillows, leaning, you know, very Arab-like, And the Jews were sitting around, the Jewish Messianics, Jews. Uh, So anyway, I I looked up at the ceiling, and as though the ceiling opened, and I saw Abraham leaning over, Abraham of the Bible. And uh, it was like a vision that I was experiencing in that moment. And then I saw a bunch of people. I saw David, Damien's dad, looking and smiling. I saw our mom and dad looking and smiling. It was that, like it opened up into a hole, if you can imagine, in the ceiling. And I was watching the scene. So I'm, I'm processing this. And then all of a sudden, the scene changed. And it was the steps of the stairs in the apartment, the boxes, Remy in my mom's lap, my dad reading, and me watching all of this happen again. And then I knew there was a connection between a lot of things that in my life I'm now involved in and all of what happened 
in Isaiah 19, in this passage that my dad read before we left Egypt, in my being committed to the Lord before I was born. Remember, it's not about me. It's about us as a community and what anointings each one of us brings to the equation. A number of years ago, I was given a prophetic word that I'm going to be Toronto's next mayor. I have no interest in politics, but the person that gave me that prophecy was somebody I respected. So at the mouth of two witnesses, a word is confirmed. So I sought the advice of some of the people that are senior to me, and I said, what do you make of this? And uh, one of them said, well, why don't you talk to Pastor Emil? If you remember, he was here many years ago, back in 2005. Uh, he lived in Vancouver. He's now with the Lord. And I asked him, Pastor Emil, can we pray together and can you help me understand what this prophetic word is? And he said to me, uh, as we prayed, he said, your life's primary mission is to help the persecuted believers be safe in one church. Something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing, but very close to what he said. And I couldn't understand it. I was just about to go to Turkey, Armenia, and Iraq with Majid al-Shafi. You know him. And his function, his, his calling, is to help persecuted people everywhere, not just the church. So I thought maybe he is seeing that anointing on me because I'm going with him as his vice uh, chair of this uh, mission. So I, I put it off. And it was really confusing for me, but I knew I wasn't supposed to run of politics. So I put that aside, I laughed about it, and I moved on. Uh, but I feel that we, the church, have a political office in the city. Not a political, but a religious or a spiritual office in the city. And the Lord is helping us through Mission GTA form a city government in the spirit. I'm sorry if this is confusing, but hang with me. So I knew that this man who everybody respected his prophetic word told me this thing that doesn't make any sense to me. But over the years now, I'm coming to realize uh, that maybe there's some weight to it. What does it mean? Most of my trips pre and post COVID have been around the Middle East. So let me show you this map. This map is a map that shows you in color, the darker colors The darker colors are the nations that are the most persecuted, most severely. And the lighter orange are the nations that are persecuted heavily. Maybe this will help. I know it's a little bit smaller, but you can see what I'm talking about. So here we have Afghanistan is the number one most extremely persecuted church in the world. Right here. You would think Iran is next, but no, North Korea is next. So let me put it this way. Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia. I just put on the first 25. And the ones with the arrows 
are 19 out of the 25, that Sat7 broadcasts and touches. These are the ones in the Middle East, North Africa. That's called the MENA region, Middle East, North Africa, MENA. And Sat7, you remember Mark was with us online and he preached and he brought the word. And I'm connected to Sat7 by being the chair of the board in Canada. And I connect with the people in Egypt at Sat7, I connect with the, the Cyprus. And by virtue of me being connected, you're connected. So we are a church that has a key role in what God is doing in Canada through this ministry that touches 19 out of the 25 top persecuted nations in the world. That's pretty crazy when you think about how small we are. Some people would say we're insignificant. But the Lord uses the small and the appearingly insignificant to accomplish great things. He used Abraham to birth nations. He used Moses. He used Esther. And that's an interesting story we're going to touch today. So today is known as the world day of prayer for the persecuted church. So we're going to take a few moments. We're going to watch a quick video. And we're going to take a moment or two and pray for the persecuted church near the end of the service today before we have communion. Because there are brothers and sisters, and we confess that every time we take communion, that these are our brothers and sisters. Now, down on this list here, number nine. Oops. Number nine is a nation that's been in the news quite a bit lately. And uh, it's been on the radar, but I'll come back to that. So let's watch the video, and we'll come back. Christians worldwide. 
the problem is impossible to overstate. And yet, each of those people who suffers has their own Cappadocia, a secret place that God has provided a refuge and peace, because no Christian suffers alone. When brothers and sisters around the world stand with them, persecuted Christians know that even in the harshest of circumstances, they will not be forgotten and left without hope. That's part of our DNA as Christians. When you stand with God's persecuted people, you're bringing the reality of Cappadocia. as he provides refuge as he's done here in Cappadocia for over a thousand years. Join us in 2022. We're one church, one family. You can go to the website opendoorsusa.com or org. I didn't, org. And you can download a prayer guide that will be very helpful. There's two versions, one that's multi-page, full color, one that's a one sheet. And uh, you will see what the Lord is doing across the nations. I was happy that it was a woman that was speaking in Farsi. Did you catch that? There's a lot that's going on right now in the media. And uh, persecution doesn't limit itself to race. It doesn't limit itself to age. It doesn't limit itself to gender. Uh, but there's something that's going on in Iran that's kind of weird in terms of how women are being treated right now. And uh, I just wanted to take us back to the reality of what is going on there in the book of Esther. Something started that has been going on for many years. And uh, it was back in the, yeah, it was back in the, uh, I'll get the other ones, thank you. It was back in the days of King Kurosh, or Xerxes, Kurosh in Farsi. Kurosh was a mighty king, and the empire of Persia covered 127 different nations. They had grown, and they had been established, they were, the Persian empire was phenomenal. And that's why sometimes when you talk to Iranians that are here and you ask them, oh, uh, what's your background? Some will say Persian, some will say Iranian. The ones that say Persian link themselves back to the time of Xerxes, Kurosh, because they recognize that they're part of an amazing legacy. Others uh, link themselves to Iran. Uh, I don't know if that's linking themselves to Iran today or Iran of the Shah, but whatever the case, 
uh, it's an interesting dynamic to keep, you know, keep your eye on when you ask somebody, where, where are you from? Oh, I'm, I'm from Iran or I'm Persian. But what happened there was King Xerxes had a big party and he asked his wife to dance. And uh, we don't know exactly what kind of a dance it was, but some say that it may have been a little bit erotic and that was the kind of dance that he wanted her to dance, but she declined. And uh, she didn't want to be paraded in front of all the other emirs or princes and others that were there. And there was representatives from many of the nations that were there. So when she declined, the king was upset, but some of the king's advisors advised him to banish her, to get rid of her, and to make a model of her so that other women in the Persian Empire, in all 127 countries, would not look at King Vashti as a model example of a defiant wife and that the wives should know their place. So he, he advised them, make a ruling that the men should be in control of their households and the women should submit to their husbands. And uh, the advice made sense to him. So he wrote a decree had it translated to the languages of all 127 countries and had couriers take it to all 127 countries and it became the law in all of these countries. Not just Iran or modern day Iran back then Persia, but in all of the countries that Persia had control over. And that included Babylon, it included Israel, it included uh, Egypt, it included Tyre or today's Lebanon, Syria, all of the nations, Assyria, etc., Armenia. So that became the norm that the man is the head of the, the family, which is biblical. But it was twisted a bit because anything biblical, anything according to the word of God that comes out of control doesn't become a gift it becomes a stronghold let me repeat this the gift of god abused taken out of context misused no longer is a gift but it becomes a stronghold with me okay the words that i've received in my life prophetic words if i function according to god's direction in them the gifts that I have received, the gifts that you have received, the gifts of wisdom, the gift of education, the gift of uh, service. You can use that gift according to God's way or you can use it according to your own way. And our way, because we are broken, our way is always going to result in a damage. A few weeks ago, I started a series from James where I was talking about love. Love the way I have loved you, Jesus said. And I mentioned that that word love is agape. The week after that, I defined agape as unconditional. Unconditional love, unconditional forgiveness, unconditional mercy. Are we all able to function that way? We try, but we fail often. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the biblical mandate of the order of the family. Followed by wives, submit to your husbands. It's not husbands are the head of the family in their house and wives must submit. That's half of it. The other half is husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Do we as men always do that? I know I don't. You're smirking. Dipti is smirking. Sorry, I, I called you out. But that's a reality. I'm honest with you. Silva can tell you stories. I rarely. Uh, <laughs> seven out of ten, five out of ten, three out of ten in terms of loving you and dying for you. <laughs> She's not going to answer that. She reserves judgment. Okay, Sarah's smiling online. I guess she gets it. But you get my point. So because that decree went out, if you ever travel in the Middle East, if you're in an Arab country, you will see the men walking in the front and the women behind them. The husband is not walking with his wife. He's walking with his sons. And the wife is walking with her daughters and maybe her mother. But the men are always in the front. That's in Arab countries. I don't know what it's like in, in Iran. It's not that way. Thank God. But we see it manifest in different ways now. You go to Israel. You go to religious section is in Israel. You go to the temple mount where they're going to go up to pray at the western wall. It's the same thing. The men are up at the front and the women behind. There was a family one time, Silva and I were in Jerusalem and we were at that wall and there was this man with his sons and he was walking and she was, her and I were just finishing our conversation. She was going to go to the women's section to pray and I was going to go to the men's. He was in a hurry to get to the men's and he almost pushed her out of the way because she doesn't belong there. Know your place, woman. So that's what we're seeing now in a manifestation in Iran with what's happening with the oppression that the women are experiencing. I don't want to get political. I'm only trying to address the spiritual foundations of what's happening in the culture right now. So we have a, a role as the church. We can either close our eyes to that or we can step into the place of identifying with the men of Iran or Xerxes or the men of, or the women of Persia, Queen Vashti, and how what happened back then, thousands, hundreds of years ago, has precipitated what is happening today. But it didn't start there. It started much further back. It started with Noah. It's a very interesting story. And we read it, and we sometimes miss some of the details. When Noah was going to build the ark. He heard from God. He obeyed God. He built the ark. And I can't imagine somebody obeying God like that. In a culture, in an environment where there is no rain. Build an ark because it's going to rain. You got to be pretty daring, foolish, obedient, all of the above, to do something like that. And it wasn't just a little boat. It was a floating zoo. 
with enough room for all the animals that were on the earth. It was huge. It was massive. And he had to actually, you know, use wood and tar and different things to make sure that it would float and float well and accomplish the mission according to what details God told him. 120 years. Can you imagine obeying God and not seeing the results for 120 years? We pray for something and when we don't see the results in 120 minutes, we panic. Seriously. 120 years it took Noah to believe God and to obey God. You would think he has obedience down. But God tells him, okay Noah, it's time. You and your wife, your sons and their wives go into the ark. But even the man of obedience of 120 years didn't obey God on this one. He goes in with his sons. God was very clear. You and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives go into the ark. But he went in with his sons and then his wife and his sons' wives came in after him. Oops. He could have corrected the whole misconception of the role of women in, in humanity. But he missed it. Do we fault him? He was in his culture. But now after those many days of flooding and those many, 40 days and 40 nights of water coming down like nobody had ever seen before because it never used to rain. They would wake up and the grass would be moist because of the dew. But the fountains of heaven opened. The atmosphere changed around the planet. Rain came down like crazy. The whole planet was covered with water. And until the water subsided, Noah and his family was in the ark with the animals. And in that period, this man of obedience, this man of character, this man of strength, he stood against the culture. He stood against all the mockery. He stood against all the disbelievers. What are you doing, Noah? What boat? What rain? But then in that 40-day period, God worked on him. He's now with the animals. I can make so many jokes here about the smell of that place. But you can imagine the floating zoo. But anyway, the time has come. The dove is sent. It comes back with a branch, which indicates that the trees are now showing. And they can come out of the, the ark. And God tells them, okay, time to come out, Noah. What do you think he says? You and your wife, your sons and their wives come out of the ark. And what does Noah do? Chapter 8, Genesis. That's why I love Genesis. It's so full. Genesis chapter 8 says, Noah came out with his sons and his wife and his son's daughters, uh, son's wives. Noah, man, second time, you know, he paid so much attention to all the details of how to build the ark, but he missed that one. And that left the door open to the dysfunction of husbands and wives in society. And it manifested itself again in Kurosh's decree in Persia. And it manifests itself again today in the abuses against women and the misogyny that goes on in societies and human trafficking and the rest of it. And we are in a position as the body of Christ to take a spiritual stance. We're not going to change the political climate in Iran. 
but we can take a stance in the spirit and say this is not right and we identify with it we identify with it like i said to you earlier i'm not perfect in loving my wife as christ loved the church and gave himself for her i put my priorities ahead of her as many times so we as men today have an opportunity to stand and to say we recognize men's faults in this situation and we ask god's and the women's forgiveness to bring alignment correctly back to the men and women's roles in the family if this resonates with you i'm going to invite the men to stand with me if this touches your heart and makes you feel that yes i want to align correctly with god's purposes you're going to get Ari to stand or you're going <laughs> to... There we go. You start off right, Ari. So, men, you can just join me in this confession. Father, before you we stand. And we confess. As men, in total across this planet, in general, we have not dealt with women as you would have us. Where we have discriminated against. You guys are not really buying this, are you? It's different for everybody. That's why I'm saying in general, right? But we're doing this representationally, right? It's not something that you personally have done, but if you feel the pinch of the weight of this globally, you can stand in proxy for all those that have sinned against women. It doesn't mean you personally have, but you are standing in front of God in representation for those, especially those in leadership, like Cyrus, like Noah, that have messed the mark on this. So we stand in representation. Okay? So let's start again father as men in your church we stand in the place of all those that have wronged women and we ask for your grace we ask for your forgiveness both from you and from the women and we de declare that this is gonna be a shift across the planet where women are now treated more rightly. They, they stand shoulder to shoulder with their men. Lord, forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for disobeying your word. And may your grace cover all the sin. We honor women. And we lift them up to the place that you have set for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. I believe that we as a church, when we stand in that place and we release this into the atmosphere, things shift. I could ask the women to respond. I don't know if any of the women feel compelled to respond. Uh, scanning across the room, 
we're forgiven? You're not forgiving us alone. I know it's a heavy thing to say, but we are standing in the place of representation. Will any of you stand with Queen Vashti and forgive Xerxes? Will any of you stand with Noah's wife and forgive Noah? This goes back many, many generations. But the seed that they planted in humanity plays out even to this day. Will any of you just utter a release of forgiveness? I'm scanning across the room. If you feel like it, stand up. You can't. Okay, that's fine. You agree with whatever I say? I can't say it. I would prefer a woman to say it. Zori, I think you can, Salpi says. On behalf of all women in our generation, back to the ancient. I forgive all men, all the fathers, all the husbands, all the sons, for what they, they might have done or they, they thought they want to do with, with all women. I forgive them and I don't hold back anything against them. Amen. I release them Hallelujah. for the purpose that God made for them. Mm -hmm. And I stand beside them for what God wants us to do. I stand beside my husband and all the husbands as the purpose they have in their lives. I don't hold anything against them. God wants us. Father wants, Father I want you to help me and all the women to stand where you want us to stand and do what you want us to do. And then all pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I also feel to say, Father, we also want to bless all men. We bless them. And we, we agree with you, God, to break off of them uh, shame of wrong, the embarrassment of wrong, the guilt and the condemnation of wrong. And Lord, we release them into your hands, into your love, that you would uh, release your uh, convictions into them, God. In Jesus' name.
this may seem very insignificant. Just a bunch of people in a small building saying these words. I really believe that they have power. I believe they have the power to shift culture, shift hearts, starting with us. And as we demonstrate the love that Christ has asked us to step into, we see the ripple effect all throughout. Today is a day of uh, prayer for the persecuted church. I think we just did that. We just touched the church. You know, and the church in the scripture is represented by the woman and the woman in the relationship with Christ, the bride of Christ. Even as we have done this, we've prayed for the women of Iran, we prayed for persecuted women across the globe, we have touched something very deep to the heart of God. So as we come to communion now, I'd like us to try something different. We've always taken communion as individuals. Individually we hold a cup. Individually we used to come up and take the bread when we can take the bread together. But I'd like us to try something different. Don't take communion alone today. Find someone, anyone. If you're here with your spouse, it could be your spouse. It doesn't have to be. You can find someone else in the congregation here today and take communion together. Twos or threes would be best. Threes or four are fine as well. But the point is, communion in itself is an expression of the community that we have with Christ. Yes, we come into it individually, but we never stay individual. We sang it. You've put orphans in homes. We've, he puts orphans in families. And each one of us comes to him with a broken heart. Each one of us comes to him shredded on the inside because of sin. But we end up being brought into that place of family. So as the bread and the, the cup is being passed around, as you remember, these ones are the gluten-free ones for those that need gluten-free, but the other ones are the wafers that are right in the cup. Take a cup, and then we'll stand, and we'll move around. It's going to be a little bit noisy, a little bit messy, but open it together. Look into each other's eyes. I know it's weird. It can be weird, but recognize the oneness that we have together with one another. It goes beyond just me and my Lord. It's us and our Lord. He died that we may all have life. He shed his blood that we may all be saved from our sin.